Okay, here we go. It's uh, Sarah from Embolden Adventures. And uh, yeah, I had my first ayahuasca experience. And they say that ayahuasca comes in gently and welcomes you into the world. And uh, you know, I've been welcomed quite, um, quite pleasantly. It was um, very interesting. Uh, we are a team of 25, 23 people and not a lot of us had an experience last night. Um, I was one of the more um, fortunate ones, I guess, if, if that's the right uh, description. And I saw a lot. And I've never, mind you, have touched a psychedelic. I've never touched a mushroom. Uh, never done LSD. Uh, none of that, really. And so for me, this, if you can argue, this is my first trip, <laughs> ayahuasca. Uh, and I saw a lot. So I'll get into it, but I wanted to start off with um, the setting of the ceremony. Last night we were in the Maloka, the circular center community area. We started out with a pre-ceremony yoga. So for about an hour, we did Zen relaxation positions where it was very kind of meditative, sleep-inducing, you know, very calming type poses. And then after that was done, I stepped away, I went to the restroom quickly, and by the time I came back, the maestras and the maestros and the three facilitators, they were already in the room. They entered in from the other door. And it was really cool because here it was really happening. It was starting. And I felt really fortunate to be part of what seemed to be a very long-lasting ancient type of shamanistic tradition from the Amazonian rainforest. You know, that in itself, just anthropologically, is a cool thing to experience, to travel to the middle of the Amazon rainforest, really, really far away from it all, well, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, that in itself is a travel experience to be amongst uh, these authentic Shipibo people in their beautiful uh, garbs, their psychedelic patterns, uh, their floral uh, fluorescence, that is, their shirts, their beautiful black hair. And they're already in the middle of the room. We're told they had taken ayahuasca to start. They are operating. They are operating under ayahuasca for the ceremonies. It was quiet. I showed up, I sat down. There was a, a respect in the room, a really solid, quiet, calm. And we all sat and essentially waited for it to happen, for, for things to get kicked off. The facilitators didn't say anything. They didn't introduce the maestros and the maestras. That was already handled earlier today or yesterday in the Maloka. But as we Westerners typically expect, it's some sort of MC that says, all right, we're ready to kick things off. Let's go. And none of that happened. We just sat in silence in an anticipation in the diesel lighters, these, these kind of lights that they had, you know, strewn around the Maloka in a circle for, for some light. So it was illuminated only a little bit in kind of a warm yellow orange light. And the maestros, they just sat and smoked their mapacho, their long tobacco uh, cigarette, and just kind of put their leg up and puffed and you see the smoke and they're just kind of in their own world puffing as if there's no sort of urgency or any sort of thing happening or about to happen it was a flow a a, a, a the presence was within and beyond but not physically in the room 
So we wait and they set the stage of just patience and being in the moment. So yeah, puffing away. And then eventually at some point, even the, the facilitators are just smoking their, their mapachos, their, cigar, their cigarettes. I think one had a pipe. And then eventually I would hear this very faint humming Icaros that started. Uh, the men started it. They were in the other corner. Well, there was a center that they all ate, including the three facilitators were sitting in, in a rectangle. So they were in the further corner of that rectangle from my perspective. And it was a very faint, like, <laughs> so almost like a whisper or a whistle. <laughs> very, very so, so faint. And that's where I was like, wow, this is starting. This is the real ceremony. Uh, things are, shit's getting real. <laughs> and uh, I was ready. I was ready to bring it on. Luckily, I was number two in the circle. And again, at some point, the maestro got up and walked a plastic bottle of black juice <laughs> over to the, one of the maestras as if the ayahuasca is ready. They must have said some sort of prayer and gave it to the woman. And at some point, again, again, we lost all track of time because the clocks were removed. We're in darkness in the Maloka, which was described as a spaceship. And it clearly is because when you're sitting around in the circle, you do see kind of a black ceiling that's circular. The, the pitch, the eave of the ceiling, it, you know, in the daytime looks like an umbrella opening up. In the nighttime, just looks like a black circle. But yet around the Maloka is a panoramic screen that shows all the foliage of the, the jungle that's we're within. And that turned like a blue because the sun was setting. It was like dusk. So you have this black circle and then you got this blue panoramic kind of circle around us with the red of the, of the lights of the diesel lamps. At some point, though, again, we lost track of time. There's no sense of time at this point, no clock, hard to see. The facilitators get up, and they almost form like a pathway. They line the pathway to the maestra who has the, um, the ayahuasca. And they call up us one by one. So I approached, and it was almost like walking to a temple lined to the maestra and Sam, the facilitator explained to me, you know, this is one dose, it's a starter dose and there may be no effect. We don't know how it's going to happen. I smiled at maestra. I took the glass. It was about this big, filled to almost, you know, three fourths or four fifths to the, to the, to the brim. And just like a champ, I took it down. And it wasn't as gross as I thought. It wasn't as viscous as I thought. I don't remember exactly what it tasted like, but I do remember it feeling as if um, it was like acid reflux, acid indigestion. And because I didn't have any food in my system, we weren't supposed to eat for a long time now. I think of the good four-ish, or five-ish um, hours before ceremony, it felt like it pooled in my stomach and it just sat there. I felt a little burpy and I felt a little like unsettled. Um, the person next to me actually started to vomit a little bit, purge. Uh, it felt acidic is really what it felt like. And it was kind of making its way through my digestive system. Um, you know, that was kind of the feeling, but otherwise it was, you know, nothing that was um, out, of, out of the ordinary or unusual. 
And, you know, and in, in also they gave me the mapacho to smoke. Uh, these long cigarettes were, you know, aligned in kind of a pile and um, they offered one to me. And I didn't really know what to do with it, <laughs> but I took it back with me with the uh, matches. And as I watched everyone go around the circle getting called up one by one in the candlelight, I sat there with the cigarette like this my hand on my knee and smoking. Don't inhale. And I watched the smoke dance. I watched the smoke come out of the, the other side of the cigarette, the mapacho. I had to light it a bunch of times um, until it finally the ember really took hold. And I was just in a calm state, just smoking, feeling cool, you know, watching, watching the show of people getting up one by one. And I was rooting for them, each one. I was, you know, kind of being a cheerleader in my own head going, yeah, you know, come on, you could do this. Yeah, you know, awesome. You got this. Uh, so finally, after everyone got their share, we just sat in silence. And at one point, I decided, or something came over me, to go through every single person in my family and just acknowledge them and shout their name out in my head. All my grandparents, my parents, my brother, his girlfriend, my cousins, my aunts and uncles, you know, people who've married my cousins, uh, children of my cousins, you know, other sort of family members on both sides of the family. I just named every single one of them and I wanted to be sure I got them all. And I just set the, I guess that was an intention of love. That's kind of where I maybe think of that coming into play. And then I laid my head down and just kind of started looking up. I don't know at what point the ayahuasca started working. I did see um, there's a pattern that the facilitator's bag is in it's like black and white stripes and it's in like a polygon and it repeats within i started seeing that like the world became very you know i don't know brackish almost like when you go scuba diving and you have salt water and fresh water you have brackish water in between and it kind of makes things muddied or it's harder it's kind of like blurry almost but this wasn't necessarily blurry, it was just that they were parallel lines, very, very faint white lines that made me think that this material world we're in is an illusion. And now the illusion is um, slowly kind of crumbling away or, you know, materializing away. And then I laid my head down and the next thing I felt was, I kept thinking someone was behind me, like a facilitator or we have these, um, the, the, the local uh, Amazonian uh, folks here that live in kind of, if you call this a neighborhood, um, are hired to help on the grounds, you know, cleaning, um, you know, groundskeep and with our bags and other sort of, you know, helpful things that they do to keep the retreat center um, in working order. And, and one role that they have, they call them the angels. And they're there to um, help people go to the bathroom and light the way and, you know, just assist even throughout the night. And so I thought it might have been one of them standing behind me or maybe a facilitator, but it felt like someone was here. And the next thing I know, I open my mouth like this, very, very slowly. It was so just effortlessly, but it was almost as if someone did it for me. Like, and I knew it was Mama Ayahuasca. I knew it was the Ayahuasca spirit energy, the feminine energy coming to work with me. I just knew, and she here she is opening my mouth. But my, my eye vision, well, my eyes closed, saw, now started to see real color. Bright color, as bright as it is in the kind of material world that we're living in currently, right now, this minute. And it, it was like this part of my brain from here onward was white. And it was almost like in a paisley kind of fashion, like a, a form of a paisley design. It had like a curl um, to it and it was white with some sort of pattern, you know, embroidered almost, um, like you'll see in like Ukraine just decoration or like some sort of German, you know, decoration that, that has like little red flowers and 
and yellow flowers and some blue flowers, very delicate, but it was within this white kind of Peasley shape that was coming out this side. But on this side, this part of that edge of that shape was black, blackness. And from that, I saw two yellow eyes look at me like this. And then what formed was like a crow, a head of a crow. And I could see its long beak. And I knew this wasn't a good energy. This was some sort of demon that was coming for me, but it was calm. And it popped out and in my open mouth, it went in and it stayed in my stomach. And I could feel it moving around a little bit, but I knew it was gonna stay dormant because now is not the time for it to come. I knew that it was going to come, but you know, like in a movie, you kind of, this is only the first, one of the first scenes of the movie. There's no way that the conflict's gonna happen right away or, or like the first chapter of a book. Like he's coming, but not right now. And as that happened, I kind of saw like a black snake sort of make its way this way, slither through and off it went. But again, not scary, but I, it was like setting the scene like, this is may this is what you may encounter, you know, during the the, the most more difficult times, um, definitely during the cleanse periods. That one tonight will happen ceremony. So yeah, so there goes the bird and um, the visions started. Uh, this is where, you know, one of my intentions was asking about unwavering faith and just understanding what the what, what's beyond the material veil you know, this world that we know. And I saw myself, like, I was home in Connecticut where I grew up, and I saw myself in these meadows that are very familiar to me as, as a child. Uh, one, was a, one was like along the bus route going to elementary school, and the other um, was the backyard of a home of a, fr a childhood friend on the same road where I grew up. And these are just meadows. They're like where grasses grow wild and bugs are just flying around and it's, you know, nice and hot and sunny, just lots of sun. And that's where I started to awake, where I felt as if I had bug eyes. Like I could see the world through the eyes of a bug, like a, some sort of like fly or, or bumblebee. That's what it felt like. I was looking like through these like multifaceted eyeballs in a very kind of micro scale from the, the vantage point of the, um, the field, the, the, the actual ground. And I was awakening, awakening through the eyes of the bug. And it, it was kind of like dark, but then it became more and more vibrant, like more and more like just colorful, like the material world. And then I started sprouting like butterfly wings and I felt very, I just felt very like delicate, like a bug. And I knew I, I knew I had a butterfly energy or I was like some sort of, the word sprite, like I'm a sprite, like I'm a fairy, like that to me felt very descriptive of that, ex what, what I was experiencing. I'm waking up, I'm, I'm part of this ecosystem of nature and I'm now waking up as a butterfly so that was what was sitting with me and at that point I started to look at my hands my arms and I would hold them like this and just look up at my arms and at first it was sort of like what my friend Michelle was saying when she experienced um, her first psychedelic kind of trip with mushrooms. She said she could see through her skin and the tendons and the bones and the flesh, you know, of her arms. And it was like a cool experience that it's so delicate, our skin and our bodies are so delicate. And so that's kind of what I first saw, but then it went boom. It was like blue, like Avatar, you know, the movie. I've never seen it, but I've seen, um, I've seen commercials for it. I've seen like, you know, uh, like snippets of the movie and it's that woman with like the cat face and that's what I felt like it was avatar and I could see my my skin was bluish like indigo dark blue and it had like squares and circles and like long like lines that were very kind of iridescent of sorts or like blue electric blues and then it turned to orange and then it turned to yellow and just electric electric kind of flashes 
and I was like, wow, my arms are purple. <laughs> so it was like a great trip. Like, look at this. Wow. And then next thing you know, once I looked this way towards the Maloka, the spaceship, the blue, the maestra started to sing in unison their Ikaro song. And that's where I was like, oh my God. And I looked at them with my outstretched hands and pointed, and I'm getting goosebumps now because it was pretty emotional. I started to cry. I was crying and it was just tears of joy. It was elation, it was emotion. It was like, I'm awake, I'm alive. Thank you for waking me up. I'm awake, I'm awake. It was as if I was hibernating and now I'm awake. And it was beautiful. And I was aware of my neighbors to the right and to the left of me, and maybe even the facilitators. And they're probably like, oh, wow, she's crying. Something must be wrong. We were told in um, the ceremony or the uh, group, group meeting yesterday that if someone is having an emotional event, don't touch them. Because we don't know what exactly is happening. We don't want to interrupt them. It might be a good thing, might be a bad thing you know, leave them to themselves. So I didn't want anyone to come over and console me, but at the same time, I didn't want anyone to worry because I was like, this is joyous. I am awake. I am appreciative. I am just in just sheer awe. I'm beyond myself how beautiful this is and how grateful I am that the maestros are spending their time for me. They've gone from their homes. They've tracked and schlepped and done all this work on behalf of me, like a pasajero, like who cares, right? Like we're so different in this material world. Like I live in New York City, like they live in the middle of the Amazon rainforest. Like why would they want to bother with me, right? I mean, that's how we think in this material world. Like you're a stranger, you're, I need to protect me. I need to do what's right for me. Or, you know, I, I can't help the fellow human or the fellow being for that matter. But in this case, it was sheer like appreciation and love that they're spending their time, their bodies even, because they're vessels now singing the Ikros through the universe. You know, they're, they're, they're going through their hardships using their body and their energy, their aura for my benefit, just so I could have this trip. But it felt more than that. It, I mean, you know, to go through all this effort just made me feel like this is more meaningful than just like, you know, taking some sort of DMT trip in the Amazon jungle, you know, for, for fun, you know, two weeks away for travel. So that moment alone, like kind of made me see that this is, I think a lot more important than, you know, taking mushrooms and they were singing. I can't remember the songs now. I, if you asked me a few hours ago, I probably would have. Something like that. but it was more beautiful than that and more melodic and they were all in unison they were singing the same song and you could hear the higher pitched noises and the lower pitch from the maestros it was gorgeous and I was just in awe and I loved every moment of it and that's when this world opened up I mean this is when I went beyond the material veil I understood consciousness. I understood oneness. I understood that we're in a multi, multi, multi dimension, dimensional universe that is so colorful and it just kind of like, just has a motion to it. And that's why I wanted to call, I want to call it, it's, it's motion. It's infinite motion. It's, it's turning on itself. It's, always unfolding there's something new every time it's lots of patterns it's color like in the first ones I saw it was all like a white background with again these like flower designs like reds and blues and similar to like that embroidered stitch work and it just it was as it was moving as slow as as slow as the smoke that was coming out of the mapacha that they were smoking it was as slow as the the uh the pace that the maestros were setting right when I first walked in, like just hanging out, 
Nothing, no care in the world. Very, very slowly. And that's where I was like, wow, I'm watching this as a butterfly or some sort of insect in this field. And I'm watching this big world really kind of unfold. And I could see that this material world that we're in right now is like a, it's a, it's a dimension of this multi-dimension universe. And so it's like unfolding and it's all this waves and, and just there's mass to it and, and just like envelopes upon itself, upon envelopes. And, and um, I understood that the material world that we're living in this illusion is as if you were to have point A and point B and shoot a laser beam that breaks the, um, this multidimensional mass and you know, it kind of pierces it. So here's point A, here's point B, and then like the line pierces it. So the world that we live in, that we know that's personal to us, our life as it is currently, from you know, as child to death is on this line and it's compressed in like a very, very thin, um, you know, two-dimensional laser beam. And that's when I was like, it doesn't matter. And everything started to wake up as the sun comes out right now. Uh, it doesn't matter is what I kept like, I could feel myself pumping my hands up in the sky because I was really kind of having an issue with this book, Perfect Brilliant Stillness, written by David Karse. And one of his beginning kind of sentences is that nothing really matters. This world doesn't matter. We're one, we're one, we're oneness of this, this, of this motion. Our ego is not real. Our life as we know it in this illusion is not real. We're part of this big consciousness, this oneness. And by me saying it doesn't matter, I'm looking at these, this like razor thin laser beam of a life that I'm living. I see an office. I see me, I saw me taking video camera work. Um, I saw myself in my life and all the stresses, all this kind of conflict, all this difficulty, all this struggle, you know, the life that we know, it's so minuscule compared to this beautiful oneness, this, this motion, this ever moving motion that just doesn't cease. It's always going to unfold and continue to reinvent and, and just be like in the motion in the fluidness. And this laser beam, it just is, is very kind of deadened compared to um, what, what world I was in as this butterfly. And I realized that I am now a sprite. I'm this, in this hairband I wore too throughout the whole experience. And this hairband was kind of like part of my sprite outfit. And I was almost as if I was like this little fairy sidekick to the maestras. I'm not sure what that means, what my spiritual powers are, but I do know that throughout this experience last night that I was here to help people. I was here to fly through the various dimensions and find people in my life that have meaning or may not, or have, you know, come across my life and, and come and gone, but are hurting and are in pain. I found my ability to like reach out to them and comfort them and say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Whatever you're going through, it's okay. I love you. You're loved. Everything's going to be all right. No need to worry. No anxieties. It doesn't matter. Like that reaction, that emotion, everything was an exclamation point with like a trail, a trail off into the universe. Everything I thought about was me shouting like that. It was a wisdom and everything was, wow, cool. It's like that guy. It's like the movie, um, a Christmas story and Ralphie and his brother, um, open presents. And one of the younger kid goes, wow, um, a, a fire truck or whatever that scene was. And, and that kind of tone is the tone I had the entire experience that I had last night. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I want to show this real quick, by the way. I just looked down and I realized. So this is the mushroom that I absolutely love. Do you see it? Someone stepped on it this morning. But do you see the concentric circles of it? This is the 
this is what I saw. Like, this was repetitive, this motif of sorts. If you can imagine it's like see-through clear, that's kind of the illusion of this material world that I would see. Same goes for these feathers. These are the two feathers I found um, my first day I was walking to the retreat center. This is the, and I'll get to this, I saw another snake. This was the skin of the snake, exactly how it looked. And this is the um, feather, without the white, of the bird that went to me last night. And I'll get into some more detail about um, how base emotions in this like laser of a life, the, 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 the life that we're living in this material world that fits on this laser beam, anger, fear, hate, you know, all these really tough emotions are really low level emotions. They're base, really base emotions, low frequency emotions. And they don't, they don't, they don't exist in this world where I'm like, it doesn't matter. This, this oneness, this motion of a world, it doesn't exist. And there are many instances, and I'll get to it, where I actually did yell, fuck you, in, um, in one of my moments in this ayahuasca experience. And immediately I saw like those words and that emotion get compartmentalized and kind of blocked, like, blocked up like, um, like bricks in a wall almost, but it was like charcoal gray and block, 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 block. And then one fell swoop, got pushed out. Any sort of anger, any sort of like hate emotions that may, and they arise three different times, same thing. They kind of got, you know, there was an awareness to it and there was, uh, you know, not much patience for it and just a beautiful kind of pushing away of it. Like, nope, doesn't belong here doesn't belong here, purge it out. Same goes for this feather. Um, at one point I did see like three f of these black feathers pop out from under some sort of table or I don't know where I was, but I saw them and they had little fleshy bits as if they were plucked out of a bird. And it, it was like a negative, hateful emotion that I must have been thinking about in this what was a positive experience and they came out they flushed out and I looked at them and then there was like some sort of bird carcass that was next to it black 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 feathers and then they laid here and then flush it got flushed out so I think that's really the message that um you know these emotions that we have in this again this like laser beam of a of a dimension a lowered kind of derivative of a multi-dimension universe that is this motion, consciousness, oneness that we all belong to beyond this uh, illusion that is the material world, um, those are low frequency, low vibration emotions. And when, you, when they say in yoga you raise your frequency, I get it now, like you raise your frequency to the higher, higher powers. And that's where all love and um, happiness and, and assuredness and faith and confidence and just like an undying, undying faith is, is it, it belongs there. And that's why I kept saying, it doesn't matter. Everything's wonderful. <laughs> I mean, you could argue I was tripping balls, but still I felt really good. And you know, this morning at breakfast, one of the guys sitting next to me last night was like, I want what she's having tonight <laughs> in my brew. So yeah, so here I am now, like, in this world, and another question I had was, for my intentions, was how were the pyramids built? Like, I want to know about ancient Egypt. I want to know about, like, what's this, you know, Teotihuacan that I'm going, you know, uh, sorry, Tiwanaku I'm going to in Bolivia, and Teotihuacan and like, the Aztecs in Mexico, and, you know, Machu Picchu, and, like, all these, like, mystical kind of ancient, undescribable structures. Like, why are they there? How are they made? You know, what's their significance? Why are they, you know, calling me? And as I'm waiting in, in this, like, as a butterfly, I'm on my back in the Maloka, and I said, and I saw, like, out of this, like, white kind of, you know, flower scene that was unfolding, out pops up a big temple that goes boom, 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 boom. And it just 
grows right in front of me to the top. And it's, it's like Inca, or no, sorry, Aztec almost. You could, it looked exactly like what you would see as Aztec art with gold trims and like the different kind of geometric designs and you know the, the way that the edges are shaped. It, it was a temple that just rose up. And then the same later on with the pyramids, I was like, how did those form? How did Olean Tambo form in the Sacred Valley in Peru? And what I did, I could find my energy, just I would put my hands up to the Maloka and I would say, they just grew. That's <laughs> so funny, because I remember how like happy I was that I had all this like power. <laughs> they grew, like the stones just rose up. Like that's how they formed. <laughs> I could see myself saying this now because that's, that's what my brain was doing. They're growing! I'm making them rise! And so that's how I understood <laughs> the pyramids in Egypt and all these structures have formed and it, there must have been a consciousness or, or the power of sound and the power of channeling you know positive energy out of this oneness. Um, and again, like, here you go, like, the Shibibo people know a lot more about permaculture, plant medicine, plants, plants in general, than we do in Western agriculture, uh, there's a wisdom um, that I think Western, Western society needs to wake up to, that there's some sort of wisdom that other cultures knew or know now. And that's the other thing that is a takeaway from this is I kept yelling, we need to love plants. No one loves plants. Protect the plants is what I kept repeating. Protect the plants. It's not about saving the planet, you know, save the environment, you know, global warming. You have to protect the plants. That's the message I was getting. Protect the plants. Don't let the plants wither. Don't kill them. The plants have given us the ayahuasca medicine. The plants have communicated this spiritual energy, this, this gift to the Shipibo people who are attuned to the rainforest. The plants, charchuna with ayahuasca put together in a, you know, if you were to do this, uh, there's 120,000 different plant varieties in the Amazon rainforest to constantly do the different uh, combinations of plants and what works is impossible. It's millions upon millions upon millions of statistical um, percentages or I guess statistical probability that they laugh and say, well, silly, the plants told us how they connect. It's the vibrations that they're aware of. They knew that the ayahuasca root grew one part of Peru, one part of the rainforest, and the Chachuna plant is way far away physically, far, far, not co-located with the ayahuasca vine, and they brought them together because they heard the vibrations. They matched it. So that's how the people, people know about ayahuasca and charchuna and the ability to put it together. The ikros that they sing is actually the vessel or, or the magic. Magic takes guts. That's one thing I kept repeating right before I took the ayahuasca at the, the temple last night. Uh, my yoga teacher, Dana uh, Trixie Flynn from Laughing Lotus, always says that magic takes guts and I kept repeating that magic takes guts this, this is going to take guts to um to drink drink the brew magic takes guts and and surrender those were the two kind of mantras I was relying on um as I started this process this journey this ceremony magic takes guts and and surrender no matter what's going to happen as scary as it's going to be surrender and know that you're cared for and my friend actually learned last night in her experience that ayahuasca is the, um, the syringe and the ikaros is the medicine. And it's true because once the ikaros is, once they finish the ceremony, and I'll get to the end at some point, um, it quieted. They left the building, the, the maloka, at night once the ceremony was complete, concluded, and I went to sleep. It, it got very kind of quiet. And so, yeah, the ikros, actually the songs themselves have power and the ayahuasca is the, is the MAO enzyme inhibitor that allows your body to take the DMT from the charchuna uh, plant. So that's what's happening. It's a, th a three-step process. The ayahuasca vine, um, the enzyme in your body that naturally would reject the DMT that um, can be found in food, can be found in living organisms, 
it blocks DMT from your body, your brain, from um, experiencing the molecule. The ayahuasca deadens, or, or at least puts that enzyme at bay and allows the DMT to come through. But it's one thing to have the DMT to see like the geometric shapes. It's another to, um, to see the experience and feel it and be part of it. It's the ikros that are channeled, that the maestros are channeling through their singing. They are, they are a, a go-between, a conduit between some sort of beautiful world that's beyond this, um, this day, this here and now, and me. And they're, they're the go-between. So they sing, they're, they're almost like chanting. And each Icarus is different for each person. So um, what they did was um, they, you know, as this was happening and the, the building the, the monuments and all this cool stuff is really happening in my mind as a butterfly, <laughs> um, the maestras, when they went from the center, from singing their Icarus in the center together in unison, they went and broke up and they positioned themselves separate, you know, um, equidistant around the circle. We were all in a circle in the Maloka on these mattresses. So they all kind of started in their spots and um, the, the person next to me, he had the first one and I was listening and, and I could feel it. And again, mind you, like I'm not totally out of my mind. Like I can open my eyes and look around and like, oh, I'm in the material world. I'm alive. I could probably like function and if you ask me to like do math problems or write something down maybe I could do it like it just feels like it feels now it's like okay I mean I see a little bit of psychedelic stuff I mean I'm kind of in this like you know cool space that has no light oh and they turned off the um the kerosene heaters the diesel heaters so uh the diesel lights so um it was just black with the blue you know panoramic window but when you close your eyes that's where the magic happens but then you know, as they make their way to you, you can hear the Icaros there singing to my neighbor, but then when they come to you, you know, okay, I'm getting up, I'm gonna put my chair, and I'm gonna face them. That's what we were told, that to face them and to let the energy come directly to you from the Icaros that they sing. And if you look at them, the maestras, they no longer look like human. And a lot of people said this this morning, they had the same reaction I did, that the person sitting in front of you is a silhouette, very, very tiny silhouette, because you're sitting Indian style, cross legs, and they're also like that, but they're very tiny. They're it was almost as if they were wearing like a covering, a black veil, and it was, there was no sort of form other than like a shadow of a form. And yet I kind of saw like bug eyes a little bit too, but they would sing to you, and my body would conform. I would bend forward and almost be magnetized towards them. The person next to me was on all fours, you know, in a cat-cow pose for yoga, and his head fo focused to that person. Every ecos was different, and I had different reactions for each one. I think the first one I could see in my body, like my lower chakra, like the browner part of the chakra, and that's where I saw like all this like poop, you know, shit, brown, like blech, all this like mud. And that's where I saw the snake, the snake that had this, um, this uh, pattern. It was a, like a copper head, like a viper. It was, I could see the viper head and I saw its like body like this. And it was in this brown and the Ikros were singing to me and then it was able, to, I was able to flush it out. And in another Ikros, um, I was dancing. That's the other thing I kept doing. I kept dancing. Eventually, I started to dance with the Ikros. I'd go like this. I'd bop up and down like a baby. I was like putting my hands in the air. I understood the Ikros to be similar to house music. And I kept thinking about Carl Cox. Oh, yes, oh, yes. You know? <laughs> like, I mean, I was listening to him on the way here um, in Morocco and traveling to you know, Peru and other, you know, house music DJs on Circle, actually, the YouTube show. And I just knew that the complexities of, like, layering the different beats without music, without words, it, there was an intelligence to it. It was almost as if we're evoking an emotion and, and, and an energy. The Icarus kind of reminded me of the same thing. And at some point, I was on my back 
dancing. And a lot of people noticed this. They saw my hands dancing. I was dancing to the ikros. My feet were tapping. I was, my hands were moving. Um, every motion of the ikros, I was perfectly aligned with the melody of what they were singing. I had, I've never heard these songs before and every song is different for every person, but when I would hear them, I knew exactly how the song was gonna go because I was playing it with my hands. It was ballerina hands, it was elegance, it was grace. And it was like all these hand movements that I've never really made before. It was, you know, dancing, a lot of dancing. And my feet, like I said, and when the when the maestros were to my left, to the person to my left, I'd turn this way as if a flower was turning to the sun. And when the maestros to my right, I turn this way. My feet would tap as if my flower was pointed to the sun. And again, I felt like a fairy, a sprite. One thing they do when they're done with their songs, see this? They um. They sing to, everyone gets one. Uh, this says Colonial de Ruda. There's a, um, a term that they said yesterday. I don't remember the name, but I'll remember. I'm sure they're going to talk about it more and more. Everyone has the same bottle. It's similar to like um, Florida. You know, you buy um, kind of this like very f fragrant, like flowery, lemony kind of um, it's almost like hand sanitizer sort of um, that you use. And, and last time I bought it in Peru and you put it in your hands and you clap it together and you breathe it in. Um, Florida, some sort of flor essence de Florida. It smells exactly the same, it's the same kind of bottle. But so everyone gets one in, in the beginning, but the maestros are singing their ikros to the, to the bottle. And so now these bottles have energetic, uh, I guess footprints or energetic prints that are unique now to each one of us. And so we're supposed to now take it with us everywhere we go. But what they do is, and you can't see this because it's so dark, they probably drink it. And what they do is they go and they spit it like a very spray kind of spit. And they spit it on your head and they spit it in your face. And then they grab your hands and they touch your hands. And that's the seal in the ikros that they just sing to you. I'd say they sing about five minutes or 10 minutes directly to you. And each time you see them coming, because they'd go in a circle, I was like, okay, they're, they're still human, because I could hear them like going, um, <clears throat> and they were spitting and coughing. Um, and you could see they were laboring a little bit. They were trying to like kind of, you know, slug along on the floor. And it was, it was a chore for their body. And each time one came, I would say, muchas gracias. And I'd be so grateful. I'm like, thank you so much for doing this. And, and you know, join in on the gross. I think as I laid down, and I started getting more and more sleepy as the night went on. Because we started at 8, and I think we, I don't even know what time we ended. They say usually we end between 2 and 4 in the morning. Um, it, there was no concept of time last night. Uh, you know, I was laying down. I was starting to sleep each time in like the child's pose. And um, at one point, that's when like the three-dimensional, multi-dimensional fabric started to become very apparent to me. Like one, one maestro was here singing this ikros, one maestro is like way in the distance and like, you know, um, XYZ axis, like in the Z axis that way. Another one was like a, a, a kind of a, a, a shear of a plane, uh, two-dimensional plane, and they kind of went this way. You know, one was here, like way kind of close to me. It was like spatially, you know, very three-dimensional. And I could see it with my mind's eye. And when smoke would come, because my neighbor was smoking the mapacho, and they were smoking too. They'd blow smoke, I think, to you as well. The smoke had a um, kind of a, a dimensional effect to it in a different way, not very graphically like the music was. The music kind of became a dimension and it was amplified and it was just beautiful. That was really cool. I'm trying to think all the things that had happened because it was a big trip. Like I said, I, I rose the pyramids. I um, understood how some of these ancient structures were built. Um, at some point, I had this superpower. Again, I realized like I'm this fairy that flies around and um, I went to a friend that I know in my mind's dream. Like I found myself in my community where I grew up and I found him and I wanted to like, again, I was now in a p 
position where I was going to people in their dreams, especially my parents. And um, I was trying to like talk to them in their dream state. And I went to this one person who's a really big superhero fan. He loves Marvel Comics and Superman himself. And I said, hi, how are you? It's, it's me, I'm here, I wanna say hi, I wanna say you're loved, I wanna say you're a really great father, you're doing really well, you know, the, the world loves you, you are loved, you're a good person, I wanna hug you and just know that you just don't feel bad. And then I went away, but then I came back because I was like, oh wait, I came for something, I forgot, this is why I'm talking to you. I said, oh, can I borrow a cape? Can I borrow a superhero cape? And from there, I was able to travel. <laughs> and I flew over the highway and everywhere I went, I could see like what was brown, like a, like a, um, my community's been kind of dying. It's, it hasn't been like the vibrant place I remembered it to be. And as I'm flying over the highway, I can see it like beginning to grow and become not browned, but like colorful again, like the plants are growing and everyone must protect the plants. Um, even one of the areas I could see, I started tiling the, the buildings. I was putting like Moroccan and Portuguese tiles, again from Morocco, and tiling the, the, um, the buildings. And I wanted to make it colorful and, and regenerated. And as I'm flying through my neighborhoods and like my community, I'm seeing you know, certain friends from high school that I think are going through some tough times. I'm comforting them. Again, it doesn't matter is what I was trying to like, you know, communicate to them. Like everything's gonna be okay. Like you don't need to worry. I know life is hard and you have some really difficult hardships which are real, but um, it doesn't matter. And that's where it's like, okay, I get it. Like, I'm here to help. That's maybe my calling. I'm here to help people. I'm here to be a protector. I'm here to give confidence and n let people know they're loved. I went to see a friend who broke his neck and has um, severe epilepsy. I went to see him. And I remember scratching my neck in the uh, maloka because I woke up and I was scratching. But I went like this. I was trying to help his neck and I put my hands on him, his head. And I said, I don't understand why you have epilepsy while you're suffering, that's not for me to tell, I don't know. But I said, that's for you to know. But I said, you're okay, you're gonna be fine. You're, you're loved, it doesn't matter. That's the same kind of message. I also saw lots of people who had passed on I went to school with and I just wanted to check in with them. And then eventually I made my way to my, my house where I grew up and I tried to talk to my parents as in their sleep state and I used the cat as the medium. I woke up the cat and I said, hey, wake up. And I tried petting her and I said, okay, you gotta go to the mom's room and wake her up. And then I was trying to tell my mom, I'm okay, don't worry about me. I'm fine in the jungle, we're good. It doesn't matter. And I saw her as a computer circuit almost, like a computer monitor and a circuit board. I woke up my father, um, I realized my mom's garden has meaning. Like, I'm the sprite in my mom's garden. She loves flowers. That means something. Like she was holding um, a beautiful environment for me. And then I saw other family, family friends. I saw someone who passed recently. I saw him alive and well. Um, I then went to my brother's apartment and his girlfriend and I woke their cat up and I said, all right, go upstairs and I wanted to haunt them because I always said I was I would haunt them if I had the chance and I would I was using the cat to like wake him up and say sit on his face, you know, wake him up and I was saying boo, I was trying to haunt him. So I'm doing this partly to like test to see if they actually heard me in their dreams because it felt like I had this power to like wake them up. Hey, I'm talking to you through this dimension and everything's okay. Um, because I have no contact with reality right now. We are completely off-grid for basically two weeks. And I have no idea what the news is. I, it's February 6th or 7th. I have no idea what's going on. I haven't checked any email. I have no text message access. So I have no idea, and I won't know for another two weeks. So this is kind of cool. February 6th, 7th, if you had a dream about me, that's cool. Like, I was, I was jumping around on my superhero cape. And then, as the Ikros, they were singing, I saw my grandma, and when my grandma passed, I was really sad, and I have been consistently sad. And um, the um, the Ikros was singing to the person next to me, I, I started to cry in my sleep, like real sadness, real sadness, 
crying. And um, I was screaming, Grandma! Grandma! And I was trying to <coughs> go through the multiverse and having her hear me, and I couldn't find her. She wasn't there. She was nowhere to be found. Grandma! Is what I'd scream. And she wasn't there. And then once Eddie Gross was done, Grandma came. I saw her. I saw her face, and I hugged her. I said, okay, you're fine. You're happy. But in the meantime, she, was, she wasn't nowhere to be found. Another thing I saw was um, I was at my friend's wedding in Austin, Texas. I, I went back in time. It's a memory of what I did maybe a few years ago. And I ate beef brisket. I don't really eat red meat, but that weekend I ate three different servings of beef brisket. And one was at the wedding. And I don't like beef but I was starving, but I also realized it was delicious. And um, I had like these meat sweats at the, end of the, at the end of the trip. I felt really ill, just awful. What I saw in this vision was push it away and this oneness, this, um, this voice, this, this motion told me no red meat, no pork, no lamb, no cow, only eat ch chicken and fish. So that to me is like a big no-no, like don't eat meat, that's not good for you. That's one of the messages I got. I'm trying to think what else, I saw Elon Musk, I saw David Bowie as like Jarrett the Goblin King, those were some images. It was all kind of contorted because this was one guy here at Retreat that has a voice melodic like David Bowie, there's a few Brits that are here. So I think that's it, but I think the Elon Musk, I think, vision that I quickly had was, you know, anything's possible. If you put your mind to it, you could achieve anything you want. And I think he's in, he's a case in point. And uh, David Bowie, they used Starman as the song when they took their Tesla Roadster and blasted it off to the solar system on his SpaceX rocket. So I think that's the kind of combination. And I think David Bowie's this just cool space alien anyway, space alien entity. So that was his own kind of quick vision. And I think the other thing and I don't, I'm not, I'm kind of drawing blanks on everything else right now. The other thing that I thought was meaningful was there's a lot of synchronicities, as I've been mentioning, that have gotten me here. A lot of kind of coincidences that I can't see the big picture, the kind of relation to what's going on. I did see it. The, the veil kind of came apparent. And to me, I, I equate it to um, a lottery ticket. You know, when you have a scratch you know, you scratch with your quarter and you take the foil off the lottery ticket and you like reveal the numbers, like pick seven or, you know, you win, you know, whatever it is, those lottery tickets. And to me, like these coincidences, these synchronicities were the scratch, right? I'd scratch one. I say, oh, that's kind of cool. I scratch another one. Oh, that's interesting. They don't really match, but okay. Scratch, scratch, scratch. And then there's some sort of like, oh, look at all these coincidences. What I saw was I went behind the foil of that scratcher and I saw the whole picture. That was cool. Wow. It was my reaction. And to me, it was like, it was like Morocco. It was the patterns of Morocco. It was where I'm going to Bolivia after this, um, in uh, Tiwanaku. It was those kind of, uh, you know, fortress, uh, the, the temple that was rising up um, from, from the vision that I had. It all was interrelated. And now I can't describe it, but at that point it made a ton of sense. Like this is all related. This trip to Morocco has positioned me to get myself to here and all these other things. And then I can continue on into Bolivia. And I saw those patterns, um, like the Wiracocha patterns and the sun god temples of pre-Inca, all that was just so well understood. When I walked home the next this morning, cause we slept in the Maloka, it was like a slumber party after, um, it, that was the same kind of impression I got. It, it wasn't as three-dimensional as it was in my visions, but I see now that nature is showing us this beautiful world, this oneness right in front of us. It's in the patterns. It's in the patterns. It's in the mushroom. It's in the feathers. It's in the leaf over here. I'm going to show you. I, pur I purposely positioned the camera on this side. See this leaf? I don't know if you could see. 
this leaf here. Uh, if you can see the vibrant leaves. I don't want to. I don't want to um, break it because it said, you know, protect the plants. You got to protect the plants. Um, and I just find it very interesting that we have a lot of permaculture people that are studying permaculture um, in their, you know, material material life. Two Brits are permaculture um, students. One's a PhD, and uh, we also have, like I said, with the Shipibo tribe, we have a herbalist who knows the plants. She's an expert in plants. So I think for them, this is really interesting interesting because they're bringing the knowledge of the Amazon rainforest, the knowledge of ayahuasca to our everyday lives. That is farming. And I was just having a conversation today with, um, you know, this one person who stud he's a firefighter in the UK, but he's taking permaculture classes and he's realizing that there isn't a formal relationship between aquatic permaculture where kelp farms are being grown. Kelp has a really important principle of, um, you know, absorbing carbon dioxide more so than trees. So the relationship between aquatic permaculture and um, permaculture here on land, you know, from farming, there's no interconnection. And he, I think he's seeing an opportunity to bring it all together. But also with this new knowledge we're learning about, you know, the rainforest and working with the Shibibo people who have a very deep understanding of how plants work. I mean, it's just so obvious. I have been here four days and I get it. Like they're giving us floral baths. I'm getting, um, I'm getting um, plant remedies for, you know, we had meetings with them today. It was like a kind of a, a interview almost, like they were all there, the maestros, the plant herbalist, the, the cook, and the three um, facilitators. And I had to tell them where my, my physical ailments are. And later we're gonna, tomorrow I think we're gonna do plant remedies. So they're, they're, they're giving me two doses of ginger, some sort of ginger concoction, and we're gonna get some, you know, massages and everything so but tonight is the night where we're going to be working on um the cleanse the um you know the kind of really seeing and taking apart our our body and seeing kind of where the hurt the trauma the the fears the the disconnect you know just purge it all out so tonight tonight's ceremony is probably going to be a really um eye-opening one this is probably where my demons I'm expecting the demons to come tonight, maybe. Um, the purging, the fear, the getting rid, the shedding, the, the killing of the ego. You know, we may live, we may see our death tonight. I mean, it's going to be pretty intense. This is why people are nervous about ayahuasca. It's, it's you know, ayahuasca invites you in, you know, in a pleasant way. Just like last night was like a surprise. But, and the birds are flying now. Wow, do you see that? There, well, you can't. There's two black birds circling me. They're gone. They were circling me as I'm saying that the demons are coming. It's going to be a bird. I saw them go in my mouth. Whoa. See what I mean? Black feather. <laughs> well, we'll see. You'll, you'll find out because I'm going to post it. I told you I'm going to be as honest as I can, and this is as honest as I am. Um, I probably need to wrap up. It's been an hour. Let me look at my notes and see what I missed, because I wrote in my journal 25 pages after I woke up this morning. And, um, you know, it's, uh, there's been a lot here. So, yeah, I talked about my dreams. I talked about working through my cat. Um, Oh, right. So one thing I, I failed to mention is that um, I saw my dog, my dog that died, Willie. We named him after Willie Nelson. Willie got hit by a car when I was 12. We saw Willie. I saw my guinea pigs that died, my pets, Spot, Crystal, um, Hazelnut, and Olive. And I think I saw a few cats, but I definitely saw Willie. Like he was laying down at the base of my feet and I was petting him and I could see him running in the sunshine. He had this big kind of grin. He was so happy, uh, the guinea pigs as well. And, and that's the other thing, like when the maestros first started their ceremony, it was very solemn. There was no noise. The jungle was not making noise. And I noticed it. I was like, the birds are not, you know, the night birds aren't chirping. I can hear a little bit of a buzz of the mosquitoes or the chichetas or whatever they are, the frogs, but there's no birds. Like they, they went far away. I could hear them flying away and being far in the distance. 
they did not go near us the entire time. But when I saw Willie and I saw my guinea pigs in like, you know, the ones that have passed on, I heard two different types of birds. And one sounded like a dog barking and the other sounded like the guinea pigs that go wheat, wheat, wheat. And it was just perfectly timed. I think another thing that was interesting is the maestros at one point or maybe two points stopped their collective singing around the room when I was seeing death. I was laying down and I understood death to be soil. I understood my body dying, my body turning into soil, blackness. And, and so they stopped singing right when I was in that moment. It was as if the room kind of had this feeling. Maybe we all were feeling something and there was a, an important moment, but they stopped singing when I was thinking about death. And I was okay with it because I'm like, it doesn't matter, right? Like, it's all right. Like, we move on. We, we, we are an eternal being. We're part of this oneness, this consciousness. We are consciousness. We are, the ego will die. That's the scary part. Like, we're not individuals. The ego is a falsehood. Like, we are all one. And we're, we're a manifestation of the consciousness of this movement, this motion. And so that's where the fear is going to happen is we're going to, our egos are going to die. This is, this is going to be terrifying. There's, there's, those are the ceremonies that are where people get nervous about ayahuasca. So to me, it, it like set the scene like, okay, you're going to be fine. And another thing I remember, one of the Ikros, when she was spitting the, this uh, potion, <laughs> Um, I could smell it. It was so fragrant. And I remember laying down on my pillow and I put my hands like this, like I probably can't tell, but I like put my hand this way and the other one went this way like this. And I clasped my hands together like this and protected my neck, protected my face, protected the side of my body. And I could see myself building a fortress, like Game of Thrones. You know, when you first start the, the Game of Thrones and you see like the three-dimensional like castles being coming together and building up, you know, like that, and like bolts and like layers upon layers of like fort, fort, fortification, right? You're, it's a fortress. And I remember that after she spit the stuff and I had it fragrantly in my face, I remember hearing the words protection, protection protection. So this was almost as if they're setting the stage. The demon came in. You're understanding what a trip world looks like. You understand the oneness. You understand that this is, this is definitely not something to take lightly. This is not like just a trip. But they're also giving me the tools and preparing me for what's to come. And in this case, you know, I think tonight might be, especially with those birds flying when I was saying it, um, tonight might be um, an interesting night. So we'll find out. I need to go because, you know, it's been over an hour and, and lunch is being served. So I got to go. Um, but, uh, yeah, I wanted to jump off the roof, jump for joy this morning when I woke up. I wanted to videotape this right away, but um, I needed to put my thoughts in order and then give myself a moment. And here's the moment. So thanks for joining me. In Bolden Adventures, <laughs> this is Sarah uh, signing off. And uh, stay tuned for what's to come. Take care.